Hello, you're listening to Crimes of Long Island. How you doing? My name is Mark, and I'm not going to be on this episode. No, you will not. Uh, Lindsay, um, you're going to take on this case um, solo, and it's something I really appreciate. I look forward to it. I I look forward to it, too, and I think... Um, just a brief explanation for our, our listeners, if that's okay. Um, we we take true crime seriously, even though we do like to find the occasional humor so we don't cry. And there are going to come um, cases that we think are so important in you know the fabric of the history of of Long Island that we do need to talk about them. But for one reason or another, it's it's too much. Um, you know, it's too much for one of us or um, if it's too much for both of us, maybe we'll just nail bite through it. But this is a case uh, where this happens very locally. And I know a lot of people um, who who knew a lot of these people uh, or still know them to this day. And so um, I'm going to take over. Mark's going to sit this one out. and then. Probably tell me all the things I got wrong later. Just kidding. Um, just, Mark- this is the last time I'll interject. But <laughs> um, yes. Well, I mean, I'll give a I'll give the slight like thirty second little breakdown of yeah. So I grew up in um I went to Lawrence High School. I graduated in ninety one. Um, I'm very close to this case, and it's one of these reasons why I wanted to step away from it. Um, when I say I'm very close to this case, it's not like I'm involved in this case. It's just I'm a um. Yeah, you didn't kill anyone. I think you should make that clear. You did not kill anyone. Not any of these people. Oh, okay. Fine, fine. um, Yeah. The people um, involved here are people that um, are either current acquaintances or friends still. And it's just, I personally would rather listen to it um, as a podcast because I am such a fan of you, Lindsay. And I really think that you're going to do such an interesting um, telling of this this, um, tragic story that happened in my youth. Well... Thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your faith and your trust as well. So and I'm going to go away. He's not going that far, guys. He's going to listen to make sure I don't fuck something up. Um, I'm muting. All right, bye. <laughs> um, so uh, we are talking about uh, the story of Alfred Germain Ewell, although we're calling him Germain because that's what he called himself. Also, there's only one of me. I don't need to say we today. Um, it is a tragic story. And it is something that I had never heard of until, uh, frankly, last week. Um, last week, it, it came up in a social skills group I was running. And I briefly mentioned the little that I knew to Mark to see if he had heard of it. And once it was, it started unraveling. It, it it surely did unravel. Uh, so I want to first say thank you to everyone who spoke to me off the record, some on the record. Mostly, we just tried to keep it. We okay. I have multiple personalities. I just tried to keep it pretty generic and to repeat the stories that I heard from others in their descriptions of the people involved. And then also I I'm putting on my psychologist hat and using that as well. So Lawrence is the town that is the next town over from us. Um, and 
currently it's largely orthodox uh, with uh, some minorities thrown in there. However, in the uh, late 80s, 1990s, it was Lawrence School District was composed of both kids from Lawrence and kids from Inwood, a neighboring town. Uh, Inwood was largely minorities, Latino, Black, Italian, a spattering of the Orthodox Jews. Um, and in Lawrence, it was half of it was a great area and the other chance sort of the other half, like not so much, a little bit more chancy. Um, however, one thing that I have heard from like 15 people now is that everyone at Lawrence High School got along no matter what their race, religion or creed. Um, which makes me think they were putting some sort of like acid or LSD or ecstasy in the water. And I'm fine with that, Lawrence. You should have kept it up. But it is nice and different to hear that in the 90s, well, a lot of whites were trying to appropriate black culture. So that sort of makes sense. But also people got along. One person told me we weren't racist. We'd all grown up together, which doesn't quite capture, um, you know, the true essence of racism in all its forms. But she genuinely felt that way and, and genuinely, genuinely thought that, you know, that was an acceptable, an acceptable composure or way to look at it. Uh, however, this story does not work out in the favor of uh, Jermaine. And, and so the question of racism remains. But not with me. I'll give you my answer at the end. So Jermaine Ewell of Inwood, Long Island, he was a football player at Lawrence High School uh, and a really good fit football player. He was fast. He was strong. He was six foot tall, um, according to one of his coaches, 185 pounds, all muscle, and he knew how to use his build in his favor. He was kicking ass. It also helped that uh, while Jermaine was playing, uh, there was another key player on the Lawrence football team named Louis D'Agostino, who uh, in one game that I found cited in the newspaper, uh, ran for 222 yards on 20 carries, scored two touchdowns, and got two interceptions. He's He's still looking good today. Don't worry, Lori. Totally not hitting on him. Uh, I could, low-key, but um, he still looks like he could go out on a football field. Um, uh, if the name sounds familiar, perhaps you're a Jets fan. I think there's still like six or seven left here. He did play for the Jets for a few years, and now he's a family man with a gorgeous wife, really hot, gorgeous kids, and... Um, he devotes a lot of his free time to coaching uh, many of the local sports teams. So thanks. But this isn't his story. But he but he and Jermaine on the same team, Lawrence was kicking butt. And I don't even think we print high school football anymore in papers. Uh, and if we do, it might be Newsday, which I don't read because they won't give it to me for free. Uh, but. At the time, yeah, if your team's kicking ass, you're doing it. Um, this was also this was around the same time that the Hewlett football team was 
doing so well. We recorded about that in our Robert Mamone episode. So I guess the 90s were prime for high school football. Jermaine was a starting defensive linebacker and an offensive fullback at Lawrence. I only know a teensy bit about those positions because they're defense positions, which we did not use during the eight years of my uh, fantasy football career. So I just picked a general defense. Nonetheless, he stood out. He was genuinely a nice guy. He was kind of the boy next door or next door to next door that, you know, they'd all grown up with. I want to say we, I wasn't there, but that many people grew up with. I haven't met or spoken to someone yet who didn't say, oh yeah, I was friends with him. And whatever that level of friendship meant, no matter how deep or how, you know, clearly this was just a nice, good guy. I want to mention this because his, his athletic prowess was apparently amazing. Uh, he was also a track team sprinter and one of his uh, fellow runners, sprinties, nicknamed him Streak because of his speed, which is a horrible nickname and could mean so many other things, but I like it. Again, everyone really liked Jermaine. Um, you know, it, in fact, part of, I think, the difficulty in telling this story is trying to figure out who were his real friends, who were not his real friends, who 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 felt like this was a racial issue because they were angry uh, and they were defending him. The truth is, this story is just like any other violent teenage true crime story where one night changes everything and alcohol is involved. Sometimes we get drugs thrown in as well, but not here. There's also not, not very much evidence that Jermaine drank. I don't imagine him drinking a lot as a football player. Um, it really sounds like he was devoted to his, to his craft. Um, I also am not citing people's memories by name and like specifically because I know the way the brain works and your memories get distorted when something dramatic happens. Things get added, things get subtracted. So we're just going with the facts or quote facts. Uh, we'll get there. As told by newspapers and then anecdotally keeping those things in mind. So if you pick up a newspaper from 1990, a local newspaper, Jermaine's football season is full of accolades from coaches, news, you know, newspaper reporters, every high school pep rally. Jermaine's all over the place. Um, and one night, uh, it was the end of the, the year, the, the end of school, it's June 2nd, 1991, and there's a house party in Atlantic Beach. And that's when everything goes to shit. So when I think of a house party, I don't think of a house party where they charge $5 admission so that you could get in and drink all the booze you want. And they've got between 100 to 150 people in that house because that just sounds really hot and uncomfortable and vomit 
I imagine vomit everywhere because they've got to have cheap alcohol. Nonetheless, this is what uh, someone set up. There were no parents there and it was the place to be. Jermaine at one point was talking to a girl at the party. Uh, I believe the girl's name was Nicole. And uh, suddenly a boy named Shannon Siegel, who had graduated the year before. He was a baseball player. So they knew each other as fellow athletes. Shannon Siegel came over. He was obviously jealous. There are some rumors that he used to date this girl that Jermaine was talking to. Shannon came over and said something along the lines of, hey, huh. He said, hey, uh, okay. He said, hey, nigger. Why are you talking to that girl? He had other people with him. Uh, obviously, I don't think I have to tell anyone that's a big no-no, that word, as evidenced by the difficulty I had forcing it to come out of my mouth. But I, I think if you're going to throw down a fighting word and that starts this whole chain of events that unravels into shit and years of mental and physical anguish, I think I have to... I think I had to find the courage to get that word out because that's like yelling fire in a crowded theater. You know, that's that's like the second thing you teach your kids. Hopefully look both ways before you cross the street and never use this word. So uh, a, a brief sort of tussle breaks out. And um According to many witnesses, a lot of people at the party who heard this, I imagine it being one of these like, whoa, you know, uh, or record screech uh, where the music stops. But a big deal was made of it. And I get the feeling that the crowd who was pro-Germain and anti-racism and certainly anti that degree of racism started sort of making comments, uh, maybe through a few empty red solo cups or full red solo cups. Either way, it became very clear that the party was siding with Jermaine as opposed to Shannon and the uh, few people that he was with. I want to say something about Shannon. Uh, Shannon had graduated the year before he got a a scholarship he was supposed to go play in Arizona and I don't know what happened but except I do because I have a lot of patients where like they go away to college they get you know they're a badass they work their ass off they go away to college there's no one watching their back and all of a sudden things unravel and they're forced to come home uh, which I believe is what happened to Shannon. And it might be part of what contributed to this whole incident of he goes away as like the big dog. And a year later he's home. He's at a high school house party and, you know, someone's talking to the the girl that used to be his. And it's not only someone, it's Jermaine who is like the, you know, the star stud of the school along with Lewis, of course. Um, so the crowd gets pissed. Shannon's, I'm guessing, already in a bit of a funk and disappointment. And 
eventually things settle down. Um, and later that, you know, night, the cops bust the party, which I can't imagine how it didn't get busted sooner, but fine. I guess we gave them a little leeway. Um, and people start to, uh, to disperse and to walk along the boardwalk there in Atlantic beach. And at some point in time, Jermaine and the girl that he was speaking with, uh, find themselves surrounded but i i don't even know if we could say surrounded because there were there was anywhere from 4 to 7 people there um and once again someone throws out the n word at um at Jermaine i think it was Shannon at, not to not to pick on Shannon but he he he's clearly instigating this fight they all have bats. There's a, I mean, baseball team. Of course they have bats. And, and it's a shame because they were probably very good and hard hitters. Someone hits Jermaine in the head. He falls down unconscious. They then proceed to continue beating the shit out of Jermaine. There are two boys nearby. They didn't know Jermaine, but they saw what was happening. Uh, they attempted to intervene. Also, uh, you know, to help save the day, so to speak. Um, Stephen Lieberman and Tony Franchesi, uh, they tried to come to his aid. They did suffer some injuries. The girl, Nicole, also um, suffered some minor injuries, although she did not need treatment. But by all accounts, it definitely appears that, you know, these two boys saved Jermaine's life because between alcohol and anger and teen angst and whatever else goes into our, our heads when we think when we're finally supposed to grow up and be adults and something stops us. Um, Jermaine was unconscious and they were still beating the shit out of him. It wasn't a fight. It was, it wasn't a fight. I don't even know what you would call it, but uh, it was, it was very bad. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, the boys who helped Jermaine, they wanted to stress that their community, their school was not racist. All of the, all of Jermaine's friends at the hospital were white and the guys who attacked him, not Shannon, who had also gone to Lawrence, I believe, but these other two guys were from out of town. Um, so uh, by the next day, Jermaine is in a coma and no, no one knows if he's going to wake up. Steven Lieberman, who's, again, one of the gentlemen, I could call him a gentleman at 18 if he stepped in and saved someone's life. So he's a gentleman. He identified Shannon Siegel as one of the attackers. And... Um, yeah, I mean, he was before this. He was a, he was a good guy. I spoke to people who were friends with him, who had known him all their life. Uh, he were was a hard worker. He 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 was a bat boy for the Mets when he was younger, and then he was an all division baseball player at Lawrence High School. Awarded a baseball scholarship to college, like I said, and then ended up coming back 
to attend Delphi. He was also forced to switch his major from business administration to physical education. I'm, I'm thinking, guessing there might have been some built up frustrations or feelings of failure or not succeeding or certainly going from a big fish in a small pond to a, a small fish trying to swim and struggling through it. Within a few days after the attack, newspaper is reporting that Jermaine's assault may be gang related. And they cite some Queens gang called TMR, which I, of course, had never heard of. And I threw up a teensy bit of my mouth when I found out that TMR is short for the master race. Newsday apparently used this awesome source of a, quote, gang expert who provided them with this information and stated that TMR is a mixed race group of about 50 teenagers from the Bronx, which just makes me vomit more. Cause so what are you doing? Uh, You know, it's fine. Um, Don uh, Galia, who's a retired NYPD officer begs to differ and says those jokers Not verbatim. I'm sort of paraphrasing. I mean, they're a bunch of teenage kids trying to look tough, but that's pretty much it. And they're not racist, to which I'm going to say false, just because if you're part of a gang called the Master Race, you're either really dumb and don't know what what club you just joined, which is possible, or you're kind of sort of a little racist. But either way, that wasn't Lawrence. It wasn't Inwood. However, apparently the apparently the police get their sources from the newspaper because when they do arrest the three suspects, uh, Shannon and then James Peralta, who's 21, and Ian Pearl, who's 20, they also the police also think they're associated with the master race. And finally, it's proved that this is false and no one has anything to do with the master race, the worst named, most poorly put together gang of all time that hopefully does not still exist. Otherwise, I'm fucked. This is all over the news for days, weeks. I mean, uh, just to get through June 6th is 20 pages of articles um, if you use newspaper.com. Just saying. Uh, At one point, a reporter asks Jermaine's mother if her son will be all right. And she quickly responds and kind of snaps. Not that I blame her. Is he going to be all right? His life is over unless you have an in with God and know how to wake him up. She sobs. There has to be justice, right? His life is gone because of the color of his skin. So quick pause. I'll admit this. Uh, The people that I spoke to about this were were all white. Um, Or shall I say, I did not speak to any people that were black or African-American, largely because the idea was put together in a week. And also, I, I just don't go up to random strangers on the street and say, hey, do you know the story about this kid who almost died? Um. I'm pointing this out and admitting this because the truth is there is 
statistically speaking, empirically, empirical research speaking, and also just logically speaking, there is going to be a difference between what a black person might perceive as racist and what a white person might perceive as racist. And then we've got the whole intention and whether or not intention matters. And that argument often makes me crazy. But if I were his mother, I don't know if I would be speaking, never mind, you know, trying to form a logical or illogical conclusion as to how we got from A to B to C, except for the fact that he was talking to a white girl. He was called he was called a nigger twice and then beaten within an inch of his life. So I get where she's coming from. But that doesn't mean that she's right. Jermaine's mother is strong. She's a badass. She's brutally honest about her son's strengths and weaknesses, almost to the point where I think, like, maybe, maybe let's let's talk more about the strengths. Uh, she doesn't paint him as a hero, a scholar, or a jack of all trades. She readily admits that he does well in the classes he enjoyed and not so great in the classes he didn't. And as I confessed to Mark before we started, before we hit the record button, I know a kid like that too. It's my son. He's 14. If he likes something, fantastic. And if he doesn't, suddenly there are no books, assignments, or teachers in this class. The class just ceases to exist. Welcome to Hunt. Welcome to high school, Hunter. Best of luck to you. Um, Jermaine's in a coma for a long time. Uh, at some points, he wakes up. He'll move a finger or um, squeeze the nurse's hand. You know, he'll follow basic instructions. So, as each day goes by, the news is more positive that the possibility of suffering permanent brain damage is less likely than you would have thought and or expected. And if I believed in miracles, which maybe I do, I think it was a fucking miracle that this guy lived and recovered. Uh, and I don't want to ruin the story, but this guy's still alive to this day and he's still doing amazing things. And Jermaine, if you ever accidentally hear this or purposely, yeah, cause who's going to accidentally hear it? Um, you're awesome. And, um, and and I'm glad that you pulled through and I'm glad you're the person that you are because other people could have gone quite differently. Jermaine's uh, football coach, um, you know, speaks fondly of him. He sort of laughs and recalls that he actually didn't think Jermaine was that great of an athlete when he tried out, which is kind of weird. But um, but Jermaine was a hard worker and very respectful and although his family didn't have a lot of money, Malo recalls that the week before Jermaine was attacked, Jermaine found a wallet with money in it and quickly turned it into the school without hesitation, without temptation. Jermaine's uh, neighbors had started to bring dishes of food to the Yule house, if only as a gesture of help. The actions have not gone unappreciated, but it does sort of sound like they went unappreciated uh and who the fuck wants to eat if your kid is possibly dying in addition jermaine had a younger sister that his mother had to keep tabs on and um it was a tough time 
many people are interviewed. Frank Pollock, who uh, was a neighbor and of a of Shannon, who Shannon was actually the best man in his wedding the year before, which I didn't realize people got married that young in the 90s, but fine. Uh, but Frank Pollock starts saying how he can't imagine, you know, uh, Shannon doing anything like this. All, all told, everyone sort of becomes a saint, um, except for that racist angle that the community keeps bringing up. And it's not the community. It's the parents. It's it's the people that are speaking to the paper. It's fucking Al Sharpton, who at one point comes to town and marches down the streets. And uh, that was probably the most exciting thing that happens. Well, I mean, I, I guess it depends. Exciting, horrifying. It sort of depends how you feel about Al Sharpton. I don't have a lot of feelings. I just know that he brings drama everywhere he goes. And also that humorously he happened to be in town because uh, he was appearing at an event to promote um, Spike Lee's new movie, Jungle Fever. That's what I heard. Uh, so if that is true, we can have a brief laugh at that. Um, Al Shap and also understand that Al Sharpton is simply trying to bring attention to, you know, racial injustice. But I don't know if high school boys getting into a fight is racial injustice or if it's just a total fucking injustice that this is what that alcohol and anger and testosterone and athletic boys and a, a, you know, drunken <sighs> a bunch of drunkards led to really altering the course of, of these two men's lives. Um, <sighs> a lot of people in the community, especially the white people, are quoted as saying that race relations have been on the upswing. Which honestly, 90 per I mean, it's got to be on the upswing. Like, look back. It's uh, the summer of 2020, notwithstanding, where just, all, you know, everything went wrong. And But still, we used to have slaves. Now we don't. So saying that things are on the upswing. I hope so. But but it's not it's it's not capturing the sentiment that that the kids captured but the better or the adults now who were kids then just said we're not racist like we don't see it that way we grew up together or uh one of the football players you know told that one of the news crews we're one team all of us together we don't see color i know i know that was 1990 this is 2022 my poor math says we're 32 years in the future now. And this comment was made by a well-meaning teenager. While we now know that saying that you don't see color is neither accurate nor as well-meaning as it is intended to be. But this is what I heard repeatedly. Not that we don't see color shit, but... Um, 
you know, uh, some friends of mine who I didn't even know, you know, would know about this, but they told me repeatedly, if anyone tells you that this was about race, they're wrong. We all grew up together. You know, even the the Lawrence uh, football coach states that Jermaine is like a son to him and the superintendent is shocked by the racial overtones since, quote, this community prides itself on race relations. I think our superintendent would say the same thing. Um, less more awkwardly in person and probably better prepared on paper, you know, but. It does seem to be the general gist, you know, that um, that we're we're making progress. We're not where we used to be. I also get the feeling that some of the parents are denying a racial aspect because they're old enough to know that, A, they should not act or appear to act in a racist manner, and B, well, B was, you know, the Al Sharpton thing. No one wants to get on Al Sharpton's bad side. Um, It's... And then when Al Sharpton shows up, he's preaching about the need to end racism, but it's a racism that might not even have existed in Lawrence amongst these teenagers at this this time. And possibly it might not even have existed within the teenagers who were behind the vicious assault on Jermaine. It's, I think the, if, if the, I don't know if this would have been viewed in such a lens because, spoiler alert, um, District Attorney Dennis Dillon does choose to prosecute it as a a hate crime or racial crime. And I think it's because of that one word that was used. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I, I pointed out the difference between what the kids said and what the parents said. And I'm going to take this opportunity to share a story to give you a better idea of how something like this could happen. Uh, when my son was, let's say, five or six years old, he was going to a local camp. And uh, he, that night as I was putting him to bed, he said, Mom, I have to tell you something. Because obviously anything important and bad and troublesome will be told right before he goes to bed so that I could stay up all night worrying about it. I said, what? And he said, one of the CITs called one of the kids a bad word today. I said, what's the word? He says, it was the N word. He had recently learned that word because we were watching So You Think You Can Dance? And there was a, a, a teenager who was an amazing dancer. He had been bullied um, because he was the only black child in an extremely white um, private school in Vermont. Uh, why I remember this, I don't know. So my son tells this to me, and I'm like, can you tell me exactly what happens? Yes, uh, the boys were, they had been playing soccer. Obviously, my son wasn't playing soccer. He's probably coming down from the nurse's office where he was enjoying the air conditioning because that's what he does at camp. Uh, And the counselors were trying to get the boys to come in to go to the next activity. And he told me that the CIT calls out, hey, 
N-word. Come on, hurry it up. And I said, was, is the, is, is this boy black? And he said, well, he's dark skinned, but I don't think he's black. I said, okay. I go to my room and pour myself a glass of wine, maybe 20. I don't, it's, it, you know, it escapes me. It's been a while. Uh, and then I call my friend who is one of the like heads of the camp because I got to warn her. This is a, this is a, not a good look, needless to say. And so I call her and I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but, and I tell her the story and she goes, is he still awake? Could you find out which CIT? I go back. I find out which CIT. She, um, you know, I go back to the phone. I tell her, she goes, fuck, Lindsay, he's black. I was like, fuck, because somehow this complicates things even more. She and I spoke for about an hour and a half. And, and then I'm, I think, believe she was on the phone with like everyone else from the camp or one other person from the camp. Uh, I wake up the next morning to a text from her. No, a phone call. She's laughing hysterically. She goes, I got to the bottom of it. I said, what? Um, all the adults in all of our attempts to be good people and do the right thing and not be racist. None of us asked the name of the kid or anything about the kid. It was just like, how do we approach this? Not me. I'm not involved in the camp. I'm just the whistleblower. Um, the boy's last name is Nagar, which to my five-year-old son sounded a sounded an awful lot like something else. And when I was reading what the parents were saying, what the kids were saying, somehow this story, which is kind of one of my favorite stories, because no one called anyone the N-word, to be clear. Um, they called him his last name, and my son didn't understand. Um, what the parents heard, what I as a parent heard, and what the kids heard or knew were very different. And if you read through this, everything, you know, if you read through all of the newspaper coverage, if you listen to it, if you YouTube it, it's largely the teenagers insisting that no one in the community is racist. It's an impossibility, but they're teenagers. They also think the pullout method works. So let's just give them a chance here. But the teenagers keep insisting they're not racist. And this isn't a racist attack. And the um, the uh, er, and the adults are more on the fence and they're trying to figure out like we thought things had come be had been better than this. Anyone working at the schools, the coaches, the teachers, they're on board with the kids. They're like, yeah, no, I don't. There's not really a division. It's not like, you know, races travel in, in different packs or. Um, you know, different friend groups, there's a lot of intermingling, especially because of the sports and, and the, you know, the success of the baseball, baseball and football team. 
So always make sure your five-year-old knows the, the kid's name is the moral of the story still. Um, within 48 to 72 hours, Jermaine is out of his coma. As I stated previously, he opens his eyes when he heard his mom's voice. Uh, he squeezes a nurse's hand when she asks. Um, and uh, the whole community's in love. Uh, Al Sharpton comes to town to rally around this injustice or perceived racial injustice, along with an activist lawyer named Alton Maddox, who sounded familiar, but I couldn't place him. Meanwhile, the mayor of Atlantic Beach, Fred Lager, is or Lager. That would be funnier if it were Lager. He's trying to press charges against the owners of the house where the house party was at. Um, but the owners weren't home. So he doesn't have a lot of weight to his argument, but at least he's not using the word racist. By June 6th of 91, three suspects are in custody. Um, there it's of course, Shannon Siegel. Um, the other two I mentioned before, uh, James Peralta and Ian Pearl, and all three are charged with attempted murder and first degree assault. Um, at the time of the arrest, Jermaine is still in the hospital, critical but stable condition. Shannon Siegel had wisely surrendered to the fourth precinct and was released on a hundred thousand dollars bail. And Shannon's the main instigator because there's several reports that he struck Jermaine first. Now we're going to fast forward. Uh, Jermaine did eventually overcome his injuries and 10 years after the attack, he went to visit Shannon Siegel in prison. These two managed to become friends, which I think is kind of amazing uh, and, and really heartwarming. And I'm not going to cry because I cry too much as it is, which is going to make me cry. Um, but they really did develop a friendship. There is... Somewhere out there, there is a movie called Beyond the Bork <laughs> Beyond the Boardwalk. It was uh, directed by uh, a man named Mark Jablow, who I have attempted to find several times. I really hope I didn't just butcher that name. Um, but uh, I've attempted to find him several times, but he's he's good at hiding. So that's annoying i hate people who are good at hiding but i would like to see that mo movie so um yeah mark if you ever listening or if anyone has a link to this or um because i believe it was released on the msg channel which if i'm remembering correctly is madison square garden and i don't i don't i can barely work my apple tv i need my 14 year olds for me um so Jermaine gets better, like really better. Like he's now, or as of 2014, no, as of 2017, he was a personal trainer at a, a local gym. Um, 
Jermaine goes to visit Shannon in prison and he forgives him. Um, whatever that means, you know, uh, forgiveness is so much more complicated than we, than we, well, than we teach our kids when we teach them to say, you know, I'm sorry, I accept your apology. I think that there must have been some faith or some God or some religion that went into these two men moving forward. And trust me, I'm, I, I am not the religious type. I just think there has to be a higher power or a belief in a higher power for you to essentially um, forgive someone for really ruining your life. Yeah. But it didn't ruin his life, but really throwing off his life. Um, the two became friends to such an extent that while Shannon was in prison and his mother was dying of lung cancer, I can't believe I'm nearly crying on a true crime podcast. Um, so Shannon's mom was dying and he couldn't see her. And so Jermaine went sort of in his place to visit Shannon's mom himself. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but in my imagination, which I enjoy using, I imagine, yeah, I imagine Jermaine telling Shannon's mom that, you know, uh, he forgives Shannon and that she raised a good child and, and whatever else was needed for her. <sighs> for her to pass peacefully. Um, and clearly that, that really touches me. Mark's going to make fun of me later for being a big, fat, big fat baby. But if he says fat, I'll kill him. So he'll just say big baby. He's not. I'm just kidding. Eh, maybe. Uh, Shannon eventually served 13 years in prison at the Clinton Correctional Center in upstate New York. He was sadly diagnosed with cancer which took his life in 2014. Uh, if you've ever known someone in a, a prison system, um, I'm sorry, but the healthcare is shit. And I, I, I have friends and relatives who have been in prison and who have had ailments, serious ailments go unattended for so long that, um, that, that it was so much worse than it needed to be. And and I have to think that perhaps that's what happened with Shannon is that uh, prisoners just don't get the same health care we do. Then again, our health care, most of us have pretty crappy health care anyway. Uh, but so quite quickly after his diagnosis, he, he died. Um, uh, however, he did manage to turn his life around in the few years in between his release and his death. He actually founded. I made a new word. It's what happens when you combine founded and managed because he founded and managed the NASA Titans in the national junior baseball league, which is apparently a thing. I think it's cool though. He picked up a bat again and he used it for a good reason. And that's, I think that's really neat. Um, Jermaine did play football again, amazingly, 
uh, hopefully some of you are old enough to remember the brief stint of uh, arena football. I kind of remember that. I think that was, I feel like that was when they took away all rules, but I could be mixing up one thing with another, but um, briefly he was uh, playing for an arena football league team called the Albany conquest he likes to cook. At one point, he spoke to a newspaper about contemplating attending culinary school. And as I said earlier, as of uh, 2017, he was a very well-known and very well-liked trainer at a gym called Life Club in Lawrence, which is, I have no idea if it's there anymore. Probably not. Turnover is pretty big there. Um, he has also managed to turn his passion for photography that he only realized later in life into something greater. And he, every once in a while, he'll have a piece in an art show. Um, he's got uh, some sort of a following. I would love it to be like a celebrity following. No, I would love it if um, Lou D'Agostino had one of Jermaine's photographs in his house. And Lori, Lou, if you're listening to this, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get one. Jermaine, just drop it off at their door. I'll tell you where they live. Just ask me. Um, in addition to all of the the good things Jermaine is filling his life with, he he has not um, he has not forgotten to give back. He is a very active volunteer in the five towns. Um, at the point this article was written, he was working with a charity called Rock and Wrap It Up, which I don't like the name because it reminds me of a condom. Sorry, but I like the idea. Um, it's a Cedarhurst-based nonprofit that donates surplus goods from music and sporting events to those who are in need. So um, I waitressed my way through graduate school, and at the end of the night, you had to throw out the food that had, you'd cooked but not used. Most specifically, I remember the baked potatoes because I was dieting for my wedding and not eating carbs, and I would have eaten 50,000 of those baked potatoes. Uh, so instead of that being food being thrown out, um, we would eventually people would come by and, and you know ask for it to be donated to soup kitchens. And it sounds very much that this uh, charity that Jermaine is is or was involved with rock and rack it up rock and wrap it up is doing the same thing on a much greater level and therefore helping a much greater number of people. Uh, Jermaine, if you ever hear this, we'd love an update to hear what you're doing now. Um, we could stalk you, but we're not going to. And hopefully that you're still doing well and still appreciating um, no, not appreciating, still paying everything forward. Um, there wasn't a lesson for you to learn in this. I don't think so. And if there was, I think the lesson was you can get through anything if you put your mind to it. Um, and I, 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 a couple of years ago, I worked a lot with suicidal teenagers. And now that I've heard Jermaine's whole story, I really feel like it's, it's inspirational. And, and if I find the right kid, I think I'll explain to him that there was once this guy that really wasn't supposed to live. 
and not only did he survive, but he lived. Um, the big question and one of the things that made this so difficult um, for so many people who knew or know uh, or, or had some relationship with anyone involved is, you know, was this racially motivated? Uh, one thing Mark and I did both agree on before the recording, and by agree on, I just mean we wrote the same thing in our notes, was yes and no. Um, I, for me, I can't, I can't imagine, you can't start a conversation with, hey, N-word, because I've really, I'm sorry, I've really used up my quota of using that word for the day. Um, you can't start with, hey, N-word, and then insult or beat someone or whatever and not have it be racially motivated. And then again, I don't know. If you if you grew up in a town where everyone was so close that like race wasn't a big thing, I don't know if it would have had that impact. Or if a very drunk, probably going through a tough time in his life, you know, transitioning, things not working out at college, what whatnot. I don't know if Shannon would have realized, you know, just just how fucked up that was. Um, I can't say the same thing about the beating, but the beating also started with the N word. And so it, it does. It brings me back to my son who had just so happened to learn this word two days before we were watching. So you think you could dance. I didn't, ex I went to pee and came back and this was what my son had learned mom of the year. But my point is, had he not just had this context, he would have had no idea. And he probably would have just been confused as to why his counselor called this kid by something that wasn't his name. Uh, although my son has gone to school with this kid for, you know, forever, as have all of our children gone to school with each other in, in this neighborhood forever. Mark and I are well mark thank you for allowing me to do this i think thank you for allowing me to do this alone i um it was a little frightening so if you've listened thus far thank you for letting me get my feet wet and then dive on in and then give it a go uh and one thing that mark and i've been talking about doing and one thing that i really want us to do and really want us to push, especially after this episode, is we want to hear from you guys. We really do. Um, we want to hear if this episode is close to you, if this touched you, if there's something I got right, if there's something I got wrong, if there's something else we should know, if a previous episode touched you, if if there's a case that you can only remember part of and it, it haunts you to this day, because... I'm kind of the person that gets haunted by shit. So reach out to us. Let us know. Um, I got to be honest, as of now, we're just calling it mailbag. I'm thinking messy mailbag. I don't know. But uh, we do have a telephone number that I'm going to try to find or Mark will possibly 
tell us at the end of the episode. Please call um, us at 516-308-2397. Thank you. That's 516-308-2397. Thank you. And Mark and I also have our email addresses, which hopefully my name's corrected. Probably. <laughs> Most likely. Most likely. Uh, it's Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at crimesoflongisland.com. Dot com and I just, if I could just add Lindsay, yes, I thought um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you do a solo show. Um, I thought you did uh, extremely well. I, I thought you did. Um, you engaged me the whole time. It was perfect. You didn't um, mind my stutters and my hems and my haws. I think you'll be surprised when you listen back at how okay. few there are. And I think uh, you did a beautiful job at talking about this extremely sensitive case. Um, and I think you did justice to telling the story to people who might not understand the situation fully or, um, or, or just want to learn about this very specific moment in time that affected so many people um, and it's still affecting people. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, you know, honestly, I'm very grateful that you, that we decided to go forward, that you allowed me to do this on my own. It was a little scary, but that I talk, you know, I have so many voices in my head. What does it matter anyway? Um, to me, it was something asking to be told because as I told Mark, I was literally teaching a social skills group to middle school kids. And one of them out of nowhere mentions like my dad was once at a party where someone got really <laughs> hurt, but I'm not allowed to tell anyone that yeah. <laughs> it was like, I got emotional I, listening. I yeah. Mean, oh, you know. I think. Oh, they will. They will. No, no, I, think. I did. And um, I mean, so I, I knew Jermaine when he was little. You know, we were both little. Um, his nickname was Meanie, which I never quite understood. It was? And, yeah, Meanie. Um, but he wasn't like a mean kid or anything. Well, that's I, so why I I'm saying. I don't know the origin. Yeah. I don't know the origin of Meanie. But, um, but yeah, I, I, last night I bailed out. I said, I, I don't think I can talk about this. And so I do appreciate you stepping up and taking care of it. No, and I, I appreciate you leveling it with me and, you know, um, just tell, you know, telling me. And I also appreciated your your little, you know, positive message halfway through. Although when I saw it, I was <laughs> like, oh, shit, what did I do wrong? Mark messaged me to tell me I was doing well because he knew I was a little nervous, yeah. um, largely because this is a sensitive subject and it's not. I think we all feel like it's not our story to tell. It's not our story to tell, but that's what we do with true crime. And and I don't dislike any of these people. And I I know a lot of people that were that were friends with both of them. And um, I know people that that actually, you know, re had received letters fr from Shannon from when he was in prison. And mm -hmm. um. And and by the way, when I came back to Mark and was like, you never believe what happened in the social skills group. He, his first, I was like, I think this might have been the Jermaine case. And he goes, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, I don't believe anybody. Such a little fucker. He's like, I, he's like, definitely not. I doubt it. Well, you know why? I mean, because for the, for years that followed um, this incident, for lack of a better word, I don't know what to call this, this terrible, terrible thing. Um, everybody was there. You know, I was not there. I was down the street at a different lamer party. Um, and we were just like, why are there so many? Like, what's the commotion? 
I would have been at the lamer party too. Yeah. I also, yeah, I think the lamer party I would have been smoking pot at because. Oh, we, we weren't I, even that cool. You might I have know, been at, sure at a different party. Dungeons, <laughs> yeah, you were playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I would have been just like smoking pot and giggling in a corner. I would not have been wanting to be yeah. at a party with 150 people. But, you know, it's kind of um, another thing is this this um, entire incident, again, for lack of a better term, is the perfect definition of NIMBY. You know, it's not in my backyard. And it, oh, and it finally yes. did. It, it, you know, you did get the sinkhole in your backyard. You did. It is you now. Like, we are the ones that are on the map as the racist fucking town. And for for years, it was that way. I th- you and know, we I kn- knew as the high school students who were there and who, you know, and the people who grew up there and we're looking at each other and we're like, but we're not racists. And I'm not saying no one was. Of course, there's racism. But I know I wasn't. I know my friends weren't. I know, you know, it. it but all of a sudden, that's what we're being told. And it, it's amazing. Um, and I have to wonder over time. Were people told that they're racist and they became racist? I don't know. Because Inwood is a very different place now. And Lawrence. It's, you know, and it's interesting. If I am to put myself in this munchkin land fairy tale of which, you know, you and many others from Lawrence High School describe your upbringing of like, you know, Kumbaya and, you know, my LSD in the water or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I... I would say, without a doubt, our town is more racist now. I think the country is more racist now, or at least we're more aware of it. Um, uh, it's a simpler time so, in the 90s, well, I think, for, for Long Island. I mean, when I was selling my house, everyone wa- people really wanted to know. Oh, I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to call out somebody on my street. Okay. Um, an old timer. When I say old timer, like eighty year old old um, old timer who's been here for like forty five years, they're selling the house down the street, and it's like, well, yeah, who are they selling it to? Yeah. So he doesn't. I mean, basically, his whole thing is he doesn't want Jews. Like he doesn't want the Orthodox Jews. Oh, we of have course, enough. right? So yeah, we have enough of them on this block, and yeah. definitely doesn't want black people. I mean, God forbid, right. God forbid, there's a black person on my block, um, and he's like. He could put up with Indians and Asians. Like, he has a whole breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing. And he, I'm, um, I think yeah. he actually used the term, and none of them moose lambs or something along those lines. Yeah, when I, when I, when my neighbor. I paid uh, the highest bidder. <laughs> yeah, All right. Well, my neighbor, um, when I was selling my house, she asked me, she's like, because apparently, apparently um, at one of the open houses, um, several Several or one, I don't know. Maybe it was one black person, but that showed up, you know, at the open house. But yeah, it was my neighbor, in the Long Island Herald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My neighbor was like, "Who did you sell, sell the house to?" And then she says, "Were they?" And of course, you have to whisper oh, it. Oh God! And then I just turned, or she's like, "Oh," and I just looked at her for a second, like I'm not responding to this. And she's like, oh, "Don't tell me they were Orthodox." I said. Actually, it's a black Orthodox Muslim. So albino dwarf. Like, yeah, yeah. So it looks like we're going to put Eid on the calendar this year. Ugh, don't even get me started. God but, willing. I yeah, mean, you know. I agree, but um, but Mark, thank you, and I appreciate your coming on at the end. Yeah, I'm sorry and, I just um, popped in at the end, but I did just want to kind of put that in there. Um, 
But yeah, Lindsay, thank you so much for doing this. I think people are going to listen. They're going to want more of these solo shows from you. So I enjoyed listening to it. I really did. Did you? Mm. Huh. I thought my voice sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Go figure. Oh, yeah, they do. It does. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And uh, again... Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. And if you ha- if you want to get in touch with us, please do. 